0: Today we're going to be taking a little journey on Resurrection Sunday. And this journey is going to be a journey that was taken almost 2,000 years ago down the Emmaus Road. I don't know exactly how that journey went. Uh, the Bible doesn't go into a lot of details, but it gives us some clues of what happened on that journey. You know, Jesus showed himself to just a few people on that day on the resurrection morning showed himself to Mary, he showed himself to some of the disciples, and he showed to these two disciples that were walking home on this road. But before we get into that, I just want to give you a little details about the Bible. You know, a lot, a lot is said about the Bible, but here, here are some facts. The Bible contains 66 books divided among the Old and New Testaments. There are 39 books in the Old Testament. There are 27 books in the New Testament. Testament means covenant or contract. It's interesting. We are Caris New Testament church. And it's amazing to me how believers don't, don't understand what New Testament means. I've had many people ask me, so you don't teach out of the Old Testament? Yeah, we teach out of the Old Testament. We're going to do it today. But we're not in the Old Testament The old contract, the old agreement with God and man. We're in the New Testament, and there's a world, a world of difference, and that's what we're celebrating today. We're celebrating this New Testament, this new covenant that God made with Himself and Jesus. He made it with Himself and Jesus. Do you know what's so awesome about that? Is that God's not going to go back on the agreement. And Jesus isn't going to go back on the agreement. See, the problem with the Old Testament, it was between God and fallen man. And man failed to keep his end of the bargain. So God did the unthinkable. He became a man. He became a man, lived the perfect life, the sinless life, paid the penalty for the old contract, God made a new contract with him, and since he is a man, 100% man, 100% God, humanity comes into this deal, and since it's made with Jesus and God, and and Jesus is a man, Jesus is never going to break it. So... Your failures, your shortcomings, those things that think that, that make you feel like you are disconnected from God, that God doesn't want nothing to do with you, it doesn't void the contract. Your faith in Jesus Christ is what makes you righteous. Your faith in Jesus Christ is what makes you holy. And as you renew your mind to that truth of who you are in Christ, you'll be transformed into his likeness. Amen. That's awesome. That's awesome. The Bible was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by 40 different authors from all walks of life. So that's one thing you got to understand. When you read the Word of God, the Word of God is living and powerful. It was inspired by the Spirit of God. Men might have wrote it, but the Spirit of God inspired it. And it was written by all types of people. Shepherds, farmers, tent makers, physicians, fishermen, priests, philosophers, and kings, and you would think you would think that, with all these different people having their hands in it, that somewhere it would contradict itself, somewhere it would not line up, somewhere it would be like off tilter But despite the years it took to write the Bible, and the multitudes of people that had their hands in it, the Bible does never contradicts itself throughout the whole thing. That's amazing. That's amazing. And see, the thing about it is, is that right there should just, your intellectual mind, your carnal mind should say, wow, I need to step back and I need to take notice. I need to think about this. I need to read this. But the thing of it is, there's lots of good books out there. And if we look at the Bible... It's just a good book. It's no different than any other good book. See, what makes the Bible totally unique from all other good books is the one story it tells. It's multiple stories, and that's what we usually spend our time doing. We look at these multiple stories. We look at these individual stories, and we try to apply them to our life, and we miss the big picture, the one story that tells through the whole thing. The whole thing. And like this picture here, you you get this picture of this lamb here, and you think to yourself, what story is it telling? Is it sunrise or sunset? I don't know. Is it is that lamb all alone? Is it in danger? What is that story telling? But the thing of it is, is when you step back and you get a bigger picture, just like the Bible, when you step back and get the bigger picture, it tells a different story, just like this picture. So you have a lamb there all by itself, but when you step back and get the panorama, you get the, the full view of, of the story that's telling. You see that the cross in the background, and you realize that that lamb is symbolizing something much larger, something much bigger of the perfect lamb, the lamb of God that was sacrificed for all mankind. And that's how the Bible is. We can get so caught up in these little stories, and they're great. We can get so caught up in the, moral, trying to, the morality of the Bible, and that's great. But if you miss the larger story, you've missed everything. You've missed everything. See, the Bible's filled with symbolism. And, and there's a way to study the Bible. It's called the Law of First Mention, When something's first mentioned in the Bible, and then you find it mentioned other places in the Bible, you can see it's connected. And the Bible starts out where? It starts out in a garden. And it starts out with a failure of man, the fall of man. That they walked and talked with God, they had relationship with God, but they chose to be their own God. They chose to choose for themselves the, what was good and what was evil. And that's where we are today. Men are still choosing for themselves what is good and what is evil. And the definition of that has changed over the years of what is good and what is evil. Nowadays if you don't want to participate in someone's wedding, you're evil. It's really changed, hasn't it? What started in the garden ended in the garden. So the the Bible starts in this garden, and on resurrection morning, Mary is going to the tomb to do the burial ritual for Jesus. And she gets there, and it's empty. And she starts crying. And two angels are there at the head and at the feet, and they said, why are you crying? She goes, because they have taken my Lord, and I don't know where they've put him. And she says, Is, they say to her, it's just as he said. He, he has risen from the dead. And she didn't know what to make of it, and she turned around, and she bumped into somebody, and she thought it was a gardener. What was Adam's first job? What was the job that God gave Adam? A gardener. And she mistaked Jesus as a gardener. What well, started in a garden ended in a garden. Where the first Adam failed, the second Adam was victorious. And he, Jesus says to her, Mary. And she realized it was him. The same goes on this Emmaus road as these two disciples were walking down the road in Luke 24, 13 through 16. We pick that up in verse 13. It says, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of these things which had happened. So picture this. There was two people. And see... Unfortunately, our mind goes to, well, it was two men walking. I don't believe that it was two men walking. It just says two disciples. I believe it was a husband and a wife. They just came from Passover. They came from Jerusalem. They were disciples of Jesus. They seen him crucified. They heard all the stories that he had raised from the dead. And what were they talking about? They were heading home talking about everything that had happened. A husband and wife heading home. And the reason why I say that is because it never mentions the second disciple. It only mentions one disciple, Cleopas. And that's the way the Bible is. God called man and woman Adam because he's seen them as one. Well, who called Eve? Eve? Adam did which means life. See, he must have thought there was something in the power of words because God said, from when you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. And he turned around and called her Eve, life. See, it was two people walking, but they were one because they were husband and wife, heading home to Emmaus. And as they were walking, what were they doing? They were, they were talking. They were talking about the things that they've seen and the things that they had heard and what had happened. And in verse 15, it says, so it was while they conversed in reason that Jesus himself drew and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so that they, they did not know him. And that word restrained in the, in the Greek literally means that God was restraining their eyes. God was restraining their eyes because there's a way to see Jesus that's such, so much more powerful than just seeing him in the flesh. To have a revelation of who he was in the spirit. And so they were talking, and, they, and Jesus, I love that, I love that how it says, Jesus himself drew near. You know, think about it. Jesus himself came To earth. Jesus Himself died for you. Jesus Himself bore our sicknesses and carried our diseases. The iniquity of us all were placed on Him. Jesus Himself, He didn't send an angel, He didn't nominate someone else to do it for Him. God Himself came Himself to do it. You know, in in John, it talks about that the law was given by Moses, but Uh, But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law was given, showing distance. But grace and truth came, showing nearness, showing compassion, showing love, showing unity, communion. It's amazing to think that Jesus himself drew, drew near and he went with them. And I want you to know something, that when you study the word of God, When you talk about Jesus, when you talk about things, even if you don't understand it. I hear so many people say, I don't read the Bible because I don't really understand it. It doesn't matter if you understand it. When you read the Bible, Jesus himself will draw near. When you talk about Jesus, when you express your your passion about Jesus and your reasoning together about Jesus and just talk amongst yourself, Jesus is there in your presence. Jesus is among you. And he will lead you. He will guide you into all truth. Jesus promised that he would send the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. And the, and the Spirit of Christ literally says that he will teach you all things and even show you things to come. So Jesus, they, were, they, they didn't know what was going on. They didn't understand any of it. And Jesus drew near. And Jesus went with them. But their eyes were strained, so they did not know It was him. In verse 17, And he said to them, What kind of conversation is it that you have with one another as you walk and are so sad? That's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting that after everything that had happened, Jesus was surprised that they were sad. Why are you sad? Why are you sad? You should be celebrating. He's surprised that they're sad. Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happen there in these days? Don't you love how we tell God what's up? And in verse 19 it says, And he said to them, What what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the disciples. See, they were a disciple of Jesus, but they still haven't come to a revelation of who he was. Oh, he was a prophet. There's a lot of people out there that think that Jesus was a prophet, a good man, because they haven't come to a revelation of who who he was and who he is. A prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. Verse 21. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. He did. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and a certain woman of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said, He is alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman said, but him they did not see. Verse 25, Then he said to them, "O foolish ones! Can you just hear? (laughs) Oh, foolish ones!" And and, and, and in the the Greek, it's not the word like when Jesus called the scribes and Pharisees "you fools." It was this this word actually means "you that lack understanding." Then he said to them, "O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken." Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things to enter into his glory? And being beginning and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So their eyes were restrained. They didn't know who this character was. They were sad. And Jesus shows up and he says, let me take you on a little walk through the Bible. You that lack understanding. You that are slow to believe. And he walks through the Bible and tells a story. And that's what we're going to do. We don't know exactly what story he told. But we do know this, that it's like an Easter egg hunt. The Old Testament is an Easter egg hunt. The Old Testament is Jesus concealed. The New Testament is Jesus revealed. When you read the Old Testament, you should be looking for Jesus. Because that's what he's about to show them. He's about to reveal Jesus through the Old Testament. He's about to reveal the redemptive work through the Old Testament. He's about to show the restoration that God made through the cross, the burial, and the resurrection for humanity through this walk on the Mas Road. So we're going to look at a couple of them. See, I love to put these big words up there that I can't pronounce. Protoevangelium. Close enough. Evangelium. Proto-Evangelium. What in the world does that mean? That's just a big fancy word that means the first gospel. And I think maybe this is where Jesus started. With the first gospel. And right now you're thinking, so Matthew? He started in Matthew? No. That's not the gospel. That's the story of Jesus. The gospel is God's plan for humanity that Jesus Christ fulfilled. The first gospel is in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 it says this was after the fall. This is after humanity came into darkness. This is when humanity came into fear and separation from God. They hid themselves from God. And. God makes this declaration, this prophecy over the serpent. And in verse 15, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That's the first gospel. And you're thinking, what in the world does that mean? That means that there was going to come a woman, and she was going to be a virgin. And she would have a seed that would produce an offspring. Women don't have seeds. They have eggs. But the word of God became the seed. And inside Mary was conceived a holy thing. And the serpent bruised his heel. To the death and burial of Jesus Christ, The serpent bruised the heel of Jesus. But Jesus crushed his head. He destroyed the works of Satan. The the hill that that Jesus was crucified was called what? Golgotha. Golgotha, right? What does that mean? Does anybody know what that means? Place, the place of the skull. So when they looked at the cross into the head of the skull, it goes back to Genesis 3.15, him bruising the head of the serpent and destroying the works of the devil. From the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, right after man fell, God had a plan, and he declared that plan to all humanity that he would send one. He would send one that would destroy the works of the devil, and it was Jesus Christ Maybe maybe he talked about the ark and the bow. Maybe he talked about Noah and that how the hardness of men's heart and the brutality of men and how the destructiveness of men got to a point where there was only eight. There was only eight that was redeemable. And God got to a point where it grieved him because of what men had done, he was going to have to do, that he ever made man. It grieved him that he ever made man because of what man had become. And what he had now had to do. And we know the story, right? The story of God destroying the world with the flood. But saving the ape. And when it was all over, Jesus, or God put a rainbow in the, in the clouds. And we think of a cute little rainbow. Well, you've got to go back to ancient Middle Eastern thought. God had just, in their mind, waged war on humanity. And when it talks about, I have put my bow in the sky, it wasn't talking about a pretty symbol. That colorful bow in the sky looked like a warrior's bow of a god. And he hung it. He says, I have hung it in the sky. And symbolism is very important. Because he hung it, and when he hung it, it was pointing towards him. Symbolizing. Symbolizing that he would never destroy the world with a flood again. And the next time that he brought judgment on the earth, he was going to bring it into himself it was pointed towards him and he was going to bring judgment into himself for humanity. And that whoever is found in Christ, whoever is found in Christ, just like those that were found in the ark, will be saved. This whole thing is just a story of Jesus Christ. Maybe he talked about the binding of Isaac. Isaac. The binding of Isaac. We all know the story that Abraham had two sons the son of promise and the son of the flesh, Ishmael and Isaac, representing the works of the flesh, representing the faith and promise of God. And in Genesis 22, 1 through 2, it says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham! And he said, Here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son. Wait a minute, I thought he had two sons. But God only recognized that, which is a faith. He only recognizes the promise. He doesn't recognize our works through the strength of our own hands. He recognizes the works through faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, take now your son, your only son, and to make matters worse, whom you love. Take now your son, your only son, you know, the one that you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Do You know what's interesting about the mountains of Moriah? The highest point of the mountains of Moriah is a place called Golgotha, Calvary. So God tells Abraham to take his son, the son who he loves, and to offer him up. In verse 3, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took the two, two young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place which God had told him. Then on the third day, interesting, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw a place afar off. And Abraham said to the young man, stay here with the donkey, the lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. And look at the faith of Abraham. It says in Hebrews that Abraham believed that God was going to raise Isaac from the dead. He had a picture. He understood the gospel. He went up there with faith. He didn't know how it was going to go down, but he knew if I had to sacrifice my son, God was going to raise him from the dead because he is my promised child. And no matter what it looks like in your life, no matter what it looks like in your life, stand on the promises of God. Don't waver, be strong in faith. So he says, we're going to go up there and and we're both coming back. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and the knife and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, father, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, said, my son, God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering. God, I don't think Abraham knew what he was saying. God would provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. Himself. So they went, so the two of them went together. See, the thing of it is, is a lot of people think that Isaac was just a little kid. A lad, he he could be almost 15 years old at this time. So, and Abraham was over a 100. Isaac could have took off whenever he wanted to. Verse 9, Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. He, and he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Verse 13. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked. And there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horn, so Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place, "The Lord will provide," as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. That that word, "The Lord shall be provide," if you look it up in a concordance, it literally means the Lord will see to it. The Lord will see to it, and I believe with all my heart. That when Abraham looked behind him on the highest point of Mount Moriah, Calvary, the place of the skull, I believe that there was a physical ram in the thicket, but I believe that he's seen a vision of the cross. And you're saying, how can you think that, Chad? Where do you get that from? You're really stretching things. Because of what Jesus said. Look what Jesus said. John 8, 56 and 58. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. I believe he saw it when he was on Mount Moriah, ready to sacrifice his son. And God revealed the gospel to him. And the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So this whole story of the promised son with the wood on his back climbing the Mount Moriah to the place of the skull being offered by his father is a picture of Jesus. But when death came down on Isaac, it was stopped. When death came down on Jesus, there was no one to stop it. And remember the words that God spoke to Abraham as they went to Mount Moriah. They said, take your son, your only son, the son whom you love. And then afterwards, when God speaks to Abraham and says, now I know that you love me. How can we know that God loves us? Because he took his son, his only son, the son whom he loved, and offered him up for us. Never doubt, never question the love of God for you. This story, it's, it, the Bible is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. How about Joseph and his brothers? Think about it. Joseph was a special son. Beloved by his father. Betrayed by his brethren. Sold into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. Accused of a crime he did not commit. Was placed in the lowest pit, the lowest dungeon. Was raised out of that lowest dungeon and sat at the right hand of the king. And when he was in a place of authority where he could bring judgment, he could bring accusations, he could bring the hammer down on those that have betrayed him, offered forgiveness. And on top of it all, Joseph took a Gentile wife And Jesus Christ brought the Gentiles into the Bride of Christ. It's amazing. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The bronze serpent. Do you remember the story of the bronze serpent? How the children of Israel were in the wilderness and they were complaining, they were moaning, they were griping, they weren't having faith in God, they weren't believing God, they weren't trusting God, and all of a sudden, a plague of serpents came out against the children of Israel. And they were dying by the thousands. They were getting bit by the serpent and dying. And God and Moses turned to God and asked him what to do. And he says, form a bronze serpent, put him on a pole, lift him up, and anyone that's bitten... When they look at the bronze serpent, they shall be made well. It's all about Jesus. The serpent—we all have a disease called sin. It all leads to death. It leads to destruction. It's killing humanity. And when we look unto Jesus, we have a new nature put on us, and it's only the only answer for humanity. We are healed and whole. In him alone. Look at what Jesus Himself said about this. In John chapter 3, 14 and 17. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not be, perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. If we just get a picture of that, that God is not here to condemn you. He's here to save you. He's here to rescue you. He's here to make you whole, to heal you, to be your source. And why? Why a serpent? Why, why, why not a lamb? Why, why would we want to compare Jesus to a serpent? Because on the cross, it says, He who knew no sin was made sin. That we, who did no righteousness, could be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus was made sin with our sin. He became the serpent. He became the curse. He became the fall. And all that looked to him will be whole, will be saved It's amazing. This book is amazing. You you have to be intellectually lying to yourself to say that this is not amazing. That this is just happenstance. A book that was written over a thousand years period by 40 different people of all different walks of life telling each individual stories that all Tell one story. It's amazing. It's amazing. Did you hear me? I said it's amazing. Amen. How about Samson's death? Can we get anything out of, out of Samson's death? I mean, that, how, how is Jesus illustrated in Samson's death? Well, Samson was what? He was a champion of Israel. He was the protector of the children of God. Correct. And he wasn't like Jesus at all because he had a lot of screwed up things that he did. But in his death, after his eyes were put out, he was brought out to the Philistines so they could mock the champion of the children of God. And Samson asked the young lad to lead him to the pillars that supported the amphitheater. And as he got to the pillars, his enemies, the enemies of the children of God, did not realize that he still had his strength in him. And he took his hands and he stretched them out and pushed on those pillars. And the roof came down. And destroyed the enemies of the children of God. And it says that Samson killed more in his death than he did in his life. You flip that around to Jesus. Jesus stretched his hands out. And he destroyed the enemies, the works of Satan, the the, the works of darkness. He destroyed sin, death, and the grave but in his death more were saved more were healed in his death than was ever done in his life amazing god is amazing jesus is walking down this road with these two disciples this this husband and wife and and they're having this conversation and jesus is just going through the Old Testament with them. And look what it says here. It says in Luke 24, 28, and 29, it says, then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. See, I could go farther, but the mind can only handle what the seat can endure. We didn't even get into the prophets. We didn't even get into the Psalms. Go home and read Psalms uh, 22, 23, and uh, 24. Looking for Jesus. This 23rd Psalm, it has to do with Jesus. Look at it this way. Psalms 22 is his death. Psalms 23 is his burial. And Psalms 24 is the resurrection. Do that. We didn't get to Isaiah 53 where it talks about the crucifixion. We didn't cover so many things. And just like us today, it was just the same back there that Jesus would keep on going. He was excited. He wanted to tell them more. I got lots more to show you, lots more things to say. But they got to where they were going. But they did constrain him in verse 29. They constrained him saying, Abide with us, for it is tomorrow evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. See, it's tomorrow evening. See, that doesn't mean anything to us in the United States. But a Jewish person that understands that the morning happens at 6 o'clock at night. And they were just walking with Jesus in the cool of the day. Talking walking and talking in the cool of the day in the early morning. Six o'clock at night. And God was communion with man. And he asked them to come in. Come stay with us. I mean, are you starting to get a picture here? Remember how God used to walk? Jesus used to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. Now it came to pass... As he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them, then their eyes were open, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. He took bread, he broke it, he gave it to them, and their eye, and they ate, and their eyes were open. He took bread, he broke it, he gave it to them and they ate, and their eyes were open. He took bread, he broke it, he gave it to them, they ate, and their eyes were open. Does that bring any resemblance to anything else in the Bible? How in Genesis, man decided, man and women decided to take from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They took the fruit, they ate it, and their eyes were open. They had a choice. They could have ate from the tree of life. But they chose to eat from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. And their eyes were open. Up to that point, their eyes had not been open. It could have been opened up to Jesus way back then. Where's the tree of life? It's Jesus. Jesus is the tree of life. Jesus is the bread of life that came down from heaven. Jesus said that your fathers ate manna and they died. But anyone that eats my body, my flesh, and drinks my blood will have eternal life. Eternal life. He broke bread. He blessed it. He gave it to them. They ate and their eyes were open. And they knew him. And he vanished from their sight. Once you know Jesus, once you have a revelation of Jesus, you don't need to see Jesus. Because you know him. It's in him. So what did they do? They just took a seven-hour trip. A seven-hour trip from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And what's the logical thing to do when you know about Jesus, when you've been filled and nourished and strengthened by the bread of life? It says, and they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while we talked with us on the road. And while he opened the scriptures to us, did not our heart burn within us? Adam and Eve, when they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, fear, their hearts turned cold towards God. They feared God. They hid from God. But when you partake of Jesus, when you understand that he is the bread of life come down from heaven, when you partake of him, our hearts burn, burn within us. When we open up the scriptures, we should be revealing Jesus. And as we open the scriptures and reveal Jesus, people's hearts cannot help to but burn within them. To burn within them. So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. They took another seven mile hike back to Jerusalem. Fourteen miles they hiked that day. So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the 11, those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. There's something about breaking of bread. There's something about communion. There's something about knowing God and knowing Jesus in communion, in the breaking of bread. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said, peace to you. Look what it says here. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known in the breaking of bread. Soon as they started talking about the breaking of bread, Jesus appears and he says, Shalom, peace to you. Nothing broken, nothing missing, that word means. Fullness, completeness, peace. When you have an understanding, when you have a revelation of who Jesus Christ is, there comes a fullness, a peace in you. And you realize you don't need anything else. You don't need anything else. See, Jesus has come to restore everything that was lost in the fall. That's what this story is all about. is restoration. To bring you back into community, unity with God. To take you back into a place where you can walk and talk with God in the cool of the day or in the middle of the afternoon. To realize that your heart can burn within you and you can be nourished and you can be strengthened through the bread of life, Jesus Christ. That God's not mad at you. He's not even in a bad mood. And he loves you more than he loves himself because he gave himself for you. What a God. What an awesome God. We don't have to worship him. We don't have to praise him because he's almighty, because he's all powerful. Because we got to worry about him getting the old ugly stick and beating us with it if we don't. We have a reason to praise Him. We have a reason to celebrate Him because He loved us. He gave Himself for us. He is worthy. He is worthy of all praise. He is worthy of all honor. He is worthy of our devotion because He is such a good God. He is such a good God. He came. Jesus came to give us eternal life. Now listen to me. you got to listen up. I know your seats are getting a little sore, maybe. But listen, pay attention here. Because if you don't pay attention, you might hear me say something I'm not. Jesus did not come to die for your sins. Jesus did die for your sins. But that's not why he came. Your sins just got in the way of you having eternal life. The reason why Jesus came was for you to have eternal life. Do you have eternal life today? He came not to die for your sins, but he had to die for your sins because for the reason he did come. The reason he did come is so that you might have eternal life. He has given us eternal life. He has broken down all barriers that separated us from God. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not come to save you from hell. He came. We focus on hell. We focus on God wanting to throw you in hell. No, that's not why God came. God came so you can have... Everlasting life. That's the reason he came. He came to restore humanity. And through faith and trust and believing in him, we can be made new. We can be made new creations in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away. The old nature, the old Adamic nature has passed away, and a new and fresh have come in Christ. What is everlasting life? I was always told everlasting life is going to heaven someday. And it's true. We are going to heaven someday. But that's not what Jesus said everlasting life was. The earth is not just some waiting room waiting for your number to be called to go to have everlasting life. Look what Jesus said everlasting life was. John 17, 3. And this is eternal life. What, Jesus? What is eternal life? That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The reason why their hearts burn within them is because they were experiencing eternal life. And I'm telling you right here, right now, in this world, in this fallen state, we can experience eternal life. We can live differently. We can have our hearts burn within us. We can be restored to relationship with God. We can see the promises of God be manifest in our life. We can be a peculiar people. We can have joy in the midst of the storm. We can have celebration when all hell's breaking loose. We can have eternal life now. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came that you might know God. To really know God. If you you don't know who God is, if he doesn't look like Jesus, if he doesn't look, if your God that you worship doesn't look like a God on a cross dying for his enemies, you are worshiping a false God. Jesus came to reveal God to us. Jesus says, "If you have seen me, you have seen the Father." Read the Bible, look for Jesus. That is eternal life. That is eternal life. And some of you maybe you're, you don't think that your life is going the way that you want it to go. Let me ask you. Do you have eternal life? I'm not talking about going to heaven. I'm talking about you communing with God. Do you know God and do you know him through Jesus Christ? Are you having a relationship with God? Does your heart burn within you? Why not? You've lived your life the way that you've been living it for how many years? Why not? Take three months. Take one year and say, you know what? I'm going to seek after your eternal life with all my heart. I'm going to seek after Jesus. I'm going to seek after God. I'm going to get to know him. You already know what your life looks like now. Why not do it God's way? Why not take walks with God? Well, Chad, you don't understand what I've done. You don't, God doesn't want nothing to do with me. Baloney! could say something better, something stronger. You think God doesn't know all the things that you've done? He knew the things you've done, and he still died for you. He knew the things that you would do after you accept him as your Lord and Savior. After you called yourself a Christian, he knew all the screw-ups that you'd have, and he still longs to make your heart burn within yourself. Jesus Christ is the only hope for humanity. There's been hundreds, thousands of men and women that have done extravagant things in the world. There have been people that have done great things. Mother Teresa, Buddha, all these people that have done amazing things for humanity. But not one of their good works, not even all their works put together, was, was g- enough power to raise them from the dead. They're still in their graves. Jesus Christ is the only one that has the power to raise himself from the dead. Jesus Christ is the only one that has the ability to give humanity eternal life and to cause our hearts to burn within us once more. Choose life that you may live this day. Choose to chase after God with all your heart. Only to find out that he was there all along. You've been listening to a message from Caris New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.carisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.